Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development programs that have changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to Impact Cyber Church. Man, we're continuing what is an incredible series about heaven on earth. And, you know, like all of my teaching, I take you through some foundational things so that you will understand the big picture. You know, it's just such a shame that there are so many truths that we believe that we don't understand the foundation. We don't understand where they came from. We don't understand the big picture. And that's one of the reasons so many times that we see a truth, we intellectually know that truth, to some degree we believe that truth, but so often we just can't get that truth to work. And when we do, it's kind of hit and miss. And, and you know what? When we've got the big picture, that changes our faith per perspective. A lot of people say, well, how does having a big picture change your faith? Well, the truth is we have been taught for centuries, but particularly the last 50 or 60 years, we have been taught that faith is about believing for God to fulfill a specific promise. Now that's sort of true, but it, on a bigger picture, it's not true. And it really excludes us from understanding the big picture and, uh, uh, and really not knowing how to walk that faith out in real life. Because the big picture is not, will God fulfill this particular promise. The big picture is who is God? What is God's character? Is he faithful? Is he dependable? Is he true to his word? And why, you know, did he really make this promise? And if he did, why is he uh, obligated to fulfill it? And if we don't know those things, I got news for you. It's very, like I say, our faith will be very, very hit and miss. It's just like what we're talking about today. You know, today, you're going to understand some things about God's divine purpose for your life and really for the church as a whole that you may not, not have really understood to the degree that you will, you know, after this day. And one of the things you want to realize about the promises of God, you see, if I understand the big picture, then I'm very seldom trying to believe in a particular promise to come to pass in my life. Because if I'm functioning from the big picture, I'm realizing that my faith, like I said earlier, is resting in the character and the nature of God, what God accomplished through the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna just give you a little heads up on what's coming in today's message and in upcoming Cyber Church uh, uh, time together. If I understand and believe that I, I am in, if I have entered in, not just believe that I am, but if I, if I have entered into this realm that Jesus called the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, the place where God reigns and heaven's resources are available. If I am in that realm and functioning from that realm, then the real truth is getting the individual benefits that are in that realm the whole dynamic changes. It's, it's no longer, 
It's no longer about trying to get God to do something. That's basically legalism. It's more about taking hold of or accessing or harmonizing with what God has already done and what God has already provided for me within this realm. Now, I've, interesting question. I've asked this of a lot of people over the years. What do you think is the number one deterrent to faith? In other words, what is it that makes it the hardest for people to believe the truth, the, uh, believe for a promise of God? Now, you know, and th there are all kinds of answers to that that might be factors, but not necessarily the number one deterrent. And remember, if you don't answer the big questions, the little answer to the little questions becomes pretty much meaningless. Well, you know, some people say, well, well, sin's a number one deterrent to faith. Well, sin is a deterrent to faith in a lot of ways, but that's, I don't think that's the number one. Uh, you know, uh, uh, afraid to obey God, okay, that's a deterrent. It's not the number one. You could just go down a list of negative things that we do or negative ways we respond to God. You could, they would all be considered deterrents to faith, to fully, completely trusting God with an immovable trust. But I'm going to tell you what the number one deterrent to faith is. And you know what? I'm basing this on number one, uh, you know, nearly a half a century of serious theological study, but also nearly a half a century of personally dealing with hundreds of thousands of people. I mean, I have had conversations with hundreds of thousands of people. You know, when I used to go overseas and, and minister and, and do crusades or do big leadership conferences, Man, I'd get me an interpreter and I'd sit down and talk to those people. I wanted to hear what they had to say. I wanted to, I wanted to understand what they struggled with instead of just preaching what I thought was cool and interesting. To me, I needed to know, what are you struggling with? Why are, why are you stuck where you're stuck? Well, I'm going to tell you what nearly a half century of studying the Bible and talking to people, uh, what the answer to that question is, what is the number one deterrent to faith? Very simple. Do I actually believe God is a good God all the time? That is the number one struggle. People do not believe God's report of himself. In Isaiah 53, where it tells the story of Jesus going to the cross and, 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 and taking the punishment for our sins, delivering us from all of those things, delivering us from the curse of the law and qualifying us for all the promises in uh, Isaiah 53, that starts with who has believed our report. And the whole issue with the church world today is that, you know, religion, uh, religion, the message of religion is propaganda. Now, it's got some true things in it. It's got some things that'll help you. But here, here's the thing about propaganda. propaganda. One of the factors of propaganda is that you say something that's untrue over and over again because eventually if people hear the same lie over and over again, they will, become, they will believe it. And once people believe something and it becomes a part of our culture, then it is passed on to generation to generation. And one of the things that we know about cellular memories based on what the Bible teaches and based on what modern science now tells us, if any group of people or any, fa any bloodline believes anything for three to four generations, then by that fourth generation, they come into the world hardwired with those types of beliefs.
You know, studies show that, that if, and I'm not, listen, I'm not against welfare. There are people that need welfare. There are people that need help. I'm, I'm against the way we do it in our country uh, because it's not biblical. It doesn't really help the person. But, uh, so I'm not making a statement against welfare, but I want you to understand something. The Bible shows that, I mean, a study show that once about three or four generations of people are in the welfare system that from then on, they come into the world hardwired to think and believe a certain way, to feel like victims, and they will never get out of the welfare system. And I'll tell you something about the welfare system. The welfare system keeps you on the verge of starvation and desperation so that you become, uh, so that you become uh, ridiculously dependent on the government. And really, what, all the welfare system in America is designed to do is to get you to vote for the people who hold you in bondage because they're the ones providing for you. We gotta, you know, when I make statements like this, yeah, I get some hate mail every now and then about it because people are like, oh, so you're against helping the poor. No, I'm, listen, man, I am all about helping the poor. But, uh, you know, I also get all kinds of emails and letters and say, you know something, my husband is disabled or whatever, and people are in very legitimate situations, and, and they're like, we have to depend on welfare, and you're right. We are on the verge of starving continuously. We can't work enough to, to you know, to, we can't supplement our income enough to actually have a decent life, and so we are forced into a life of poverty. You know, people get on television and talk about how many people live in poverty. Well, compare that to the number of people uh, that are, that are uh, bound into getting benefits from the government and the restrictions on those benefits require them to stay in poverty. Uh, anyhow, we could, go, we could go a long way down that path. But my point is this, is once something stays and passed down from generation to generation. And this is what the Bible calls iniquity. See, curses are not passed from generation to generation. Iniquity is passed. And iniquity is when we believe things that are contrary to what God says. And so, you know, when you get four generations of people believing that God is not good, guess what? Uh, man, it takes a supernatural act of, uh, uh, in their life of them surrendering to God uh, to come to believe that, you know what, I am not, I am not a, a, a victim. I am, I don't have the welfare mentality. I don't have the slave mentality. And I'm not talking about black slaves. I'm talking about the slavery mentality that, that, that I can never rise above what somebody else allows me to do. So the number one deterrent to faith is whether or not we believe that God is good. Now, we, God's people, are the primary reason that the world sees God the way they see Him. That's why at Impact Ministries, you know, it's not just a slogan. It is not just a catchphrase. We are changing the way the world sees God. Uh, there was a recent survey done, which I find to be very interesting. And two of the questions in this survey was this, is what's the number one thing that the church is known for? You know, in this survey, I'm not saying they're right, the number one thing the church is known for among people who are not Christians is that the church is against and has a hatred for homosexuals. Well, let me tell you something. Number one, that's not true. But number two, it's sad that there is such a predominance of that, uh, that that's what people think that the church is about. Well, see, the problem is that means that's what people think God is about. And so God gets labeled 
for the beliefs of the church, even when those beliefs are totally inconsistent with what the Bible says and with, and with who God is. Well, here's another interesting, what is the church least known for in this same survey? And they said the church is least known for love, for loving people. Man, that is incredibly sad. And I realize that the world's concept of love is, is very corrupt, very false. So, um, so even if the church was walking in love, to some degree, there would be people that insist that it's not because, because you know, you know once, once people get into a victim's mentality, then their definition of love is when you give me what I want, when you let me do what I want and get by with it, you let me mistreat people, you let me uh, uh, live an unproductive life, you know, and, and give me no repercussions. And that's love to, to the greater part of the world these days. Now, the problem is this idea of that, that, that God is an angry, hating God and that God really isn't a loving God. This is a judgment or a criticism that is actually based on the church, not based on God. Now, that's an amazing thing to think that we are affecting God's reputation in planet Earth. Now, as we come to understand this dynamic, we... If we want to find biblical answers and we use the law of first reference, then we go back and we look at the children of Israel and we seek to understand why did they need to become a kingdom? Why couldn't, you know, why couldn't it have just been a thing where people just individually believe what they believe and, and there's no, you know, there's no need. So, you know, here's an interesting thing people say, well, you know, I'm not against God. I'm just against organized religion. Well, you know what? I understand what uh, people mean by that. And sadly, so many of the negative things people believe about God is based on organized religion, which I, I, I'm against religion altogether. But uh, you know that being a part of groups, doesn't matter if, if you're a part of a hate group or part of a love group, being a part of groups is part of who we are as human beings. And... Uh, uh, so, unfortunately, though, with groups, eventually with any group, that the people who are the most forceful, the people who are the most persuasive, the most powerful rise to the top, and they start defining the group, and those groups become stereotyped, even though it has nothing to do with, with, with who they really are. So, <clears throat> Jesus told us that we are the light of the world. Now, I'll tell you something. As the light of the world, we can shine a bright light into the world that reveals the character and nature of God, reveals the goodness of God, or we can shine a dim light where people uh, struggle and stumble as they try to walk this path. You know, when Jesus came in John 1, 18, says, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father has declared Him or has come to reveal Him or express Him or, or, or tell us basically who He is. Because after, even though God revealed himself to the children of Israel very early, this whole concept of the Old Testament being fear-based, the Old Testament, Old Covenant being, uh, being uh, based on legalism, none of that is true. Not one word of that is true. And the people who say that, they are doing to the children of Israel exactly what the world is doing to the church. 
They're passing a judgment about who God is and what God did, not based on what God said, but based on how people walked it out, based on how people lived it, based on how people expressed it. So, so you know, God comes to the children of Israel, and we, we talked last week about how that God led the children of Israel into protection and safety by, bring, by sending Joseph to Egypt to save the, the pagan nation of Egypt. And, you know, they didn't convert <clears throat> from being pagans. But because of the favor, man alive, you know what, I could, man, I could spend a week just talking about favor that comes to people who are godly. I'm telling you, Joseph was a godly man. He was fair. He was honest. And even though he was betrayed many times, ultimately he stuck true to who he was, to his godly character and nature and to the truth that he knew about God. And the result is that's how he had favor with Pharaoh. You know, I sent out a letter to our world changers just a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, God has taken us through a process over the last just a little more than a year of getting completely out of debt. We were our ministry was in debt. We owed over uh, uh, right around a million dollars uh, on about three hundred million dollars or about three million dollars worth of property. And uh, 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 we could not sell the land that we had stopped using it was just in a part of town that there were problems. Now, it's going to be worth a lot in, a, in about another year. But, uh, but the long and short of it is, is this. At the, at the end of the day, God gave me a plan to, to, about how to get out of debt without diverting funds from ministry. And so that's one of the things at Impact Ministries we've always done. We've always put ministry first. I'll tell you, in 1980, uh, 85, whenever we first started, and, and our local congregation grew and we were large enough to need a building and could actually afford a building. I went to the congregation. And I said, look, we can build a building. We need a building. But here's here's our choice. If we build a building, we cannot continue to reach the world, do crusades around the world, do all the outreaches that we do. So I'm going to put it to you because you're the ones that give and you've got to decide. And see, in the Old Testament, it teaches us that buildings and structures should be built from free will offerings, not, not taken out of the regular offerings of the people. In other words, it's got to be people, something that people want so that out of their desire for it, they'll, they'll, they'll invest in it. And, you know, and our people overwhelmingly said, look, we don't care where we meet. We don't care how inconvenient it is. What we care about is we're doing what God has called the church to do. And so, you know, we went, we went for quite a while without building a building. And then we lived, I mean, then we functioned in a really crummy location. Um, it was not a very nice building. Actually, it's, it's the building we use today for office space and for, and for video and for, and for having uh, our world changers come in and that sort of thing. You know, it's basically just a big old tin building in my backyard from which we reach millions of people. But the one of the, one of the reasons we stayed here uh, is because we wanted to always be able to put our call and our, and our passion first, put that ahead of, of, of everything else. See, God's interested in people. And, and, and we have to make our decisions as churches and as leaders more about 
Are we going to fulfill the destiny that Jesus gave us, the commission that Jesus gave us, or are we going to uh, uh, become a nice cultural, socially uh, acceptable uh, area that people can come together and hang out and whatever, you know? And I'm not against people that, that do all that kind of stuff, but I'm just saying, man, this, this, is, this is about sticking to who God is. Now, the children of Israel, uh, they became legalistic. And they didn't, they constantly, little by little by little, they betrayed the things of God. They betrayed the character and nature of God until finally they became so corrupt that they, that they went into captivity. And then we have hundreds of years where they operated from an incredibly legalistic, paganistic a mixture of the word of God and what was going on in all the corrupt uh, religions around them. And ultimately the nation of Israel was, was destroyed. So after all these hundreds of years of people perverting what God said, Jesus had to come on the scene and say, I'm going to show you exactly what God looked like. I'm going to show you his intention behind every single thing that he ever said and ever did. And I'm going to show you what you really have, the opportunity that you really have. And, the, and so, you know, the first purpose of that is always to set people free, to bring people into this incredible life. But then the second purpose is so that we will be a light in the world where people can see the true character and nature of God. Now listen, the children of Israel, they got delivered. They are, like I said, just, oh, by the way, I was on this thing about the favor of God. The, the way we got out of, the way we got out of debt was all related to my favor with business people in this city. And it's just that simple. Well, that favor did not come because i related to these people irresponsibly over the years because I did what I wanted to and broke my word. As a matter of fact, the, 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 the guy, the businessman that helped us, that, that loaned us basically a million dollars to work this plan and to absolutely get out of debt. You know, I sat in his office back about 10 years ago with him nearly in tears where he had made a deal with a local pastor and that local pastor decided in the middle of that deal that he had a better deal. And he goes on, he makes a video for his congregation to raise money, talking against this guy that has helped them for years, talking against this guy that made sure that they had a facility, talking about against this guy that had donated property to them. And when they decided for some big old mystical reason uh, that they didn't want to keep their word in that deal, they just trashed this guy. Well, you know something, we, we think we can do that stuff in the name of Jesus and somehow we're still going to have divine favor with people. Well, no, we're not. Joseph had divine favor because he walked in character. Let me tell you something. I've had my failures. I mean, I've had, most of my failures have been personal failures. Uh, my failures as they relate to other people are either when I do ignorant things and I don't realize, you know, that I'm, that I'm doing something. But most of the time... Uh, and all of my, well, not most of them, I can say this, 100% of the time, as far as I've known my entire Christian life, I have made sure that I would never take advantage of people or use them for my personal gain. Never. And so it was the, that years of favor, not favor just by some mystical way, but favor because I showed God to a, a man that doesn't know God for years. And when it got down to needing a million dollars, I walked in, had one conversation. 
There wasn't a credit check done. There wasn't an application filled out. There wasn't an appraisal done. It was all on my word and a handshake, and then we put it into a contract. Let me tell you something. Joseph, through manifesting the character and the nature of God to Pharaoh, garnered him so much favor that Pharaoh brought a nation of people in that worshiped a different God. And I got news for you. I, I can promise you the temple priests in Egypt did not like that one bit and kept them safe for hundreds of years until all the pieces of the puzzle came together and God said, let my people go. Now, we're going we're gonna to talk about the journey that they made from, from Egypt into the land of Canaan. And we're going to help you understand all kinds of factors about the kingdom of God. But here, here, here's what you have to understand. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of jump through this pretty quick like. Uh, God needed for them to become a, a holy nation because he was a holy God. Now by holy, that's not perfection. Holy means different or uncommon. He was uncommon. The worship of Jehovah was uncommon. Everything about God was uncommon compared to all the pagan religions. Let me tell you something. It was the Old Testament that gave the first great liberation to women. It was the Old Testament that gave the first great liberation to slaves. It was the Old Testament that, that put prohibitions on how you could treat people in war and in captivity. It was the Old, Old Testament that created an economic system that if followed would make sure that, you would, that the poor would never, ever, ever be a bill and the whole idea, you read the book of Deuteronomy, you'll discover that God said over and over and over, if, if you will walk in my commandments, the other nations will look at you and they will have reverence. King James will say fear. They'll have reverence for what you do. They will realize that you are a holy nation, an uncommon nation. And what would have happened if Israel had worked the plan is that all of the nations of the world would have had a light in the darkness and they would have come to Israel and said, look, we want to know about this God. As a matter of fact, Solomon, uh, until he backslid, he had that happen to him. People, kings came from everywhere to talk to Solomon about his great wisdom. Well, all of his great wisdom was based on applying the word of God in real life circumstances. So you know what? God wanted a kingdom so that there would be a group of people committed to the same values, goals, you know, the same God, and they would express it and be a light in the darkness. Well, I got news for you. God wants a kingdom now to do that. And we are a nation of kings and priests. And we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about the kingdom of God and how we represent God to the world. But see, a part of how we represent God to the world based on Everything that the Old Testament said is based on the fact that we should be living such incredible quality of life. We, we should be prospering without oppressing people. We should be, you know, we should be able to grow in wealth without corrupting ourselves and, and, and use it to benefit and bless people who don't have what we have. Uh, we should be living a quality of life externally that is in harmony with this holy heart that's committed to being like God internally. 
And like the Apostle Peter says, and so when people come and ask you, well, man, what, what is this? Why does your life work? You'll say, I'll tell you why my life works. Well, I'll tell you something. If you want to have a life that is so incredible that people are asking you why it works, then I want you to just hang in here with me. And you know what? If you're wanting to dive deeper than we're going to in here, be sure and get my book, Heaven on Earth and the series. And you know what? You may even want to consider plugging into Ultimate Impact, my personal mentoring program, where I show you how to walk through this stuff, how to put this stuff into practice. I tell you, Jesus said to make disciples. We are creating every way in the world to make disciples because we plan on changing the way you see God to something that looks more like Jesus and changing the way the world sees God. Be sure, give me comments, give me questions, give me likes and subscriptions so we can touch more people in this world. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website for previous podcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.